Hi, and welcome back to the Village Trader Podcast. I'm your host, Njabul Ntibani. This podcast is aimed at helping new and experienced traders navigate the market and learn from other traders. This is episode number 45. In this week's episode, we're chatting with Franz Declet, who's famously known, who's famously known for his TV, TV show and business day TV, Talking Technicals, which is also available on YouTube. I'll leave the link to that in the show notes below. He also runs a trading education program. Uh, find, find more about that on um, francdeclerc.com. Um, Francis' career spends multiple of, of, of decades, more than three three decades. Um, find out more on francdeclerc.com. Um, good morning, Franz. How are you doing? Good morning, Jabulo. No, 100% fine. It's it's nice and cold here in the Karua because I stay in the middle of the Karua, but it's a beautiful morning, crisp morning, a lot of frost. We had a little bit of rain during the week that we're thankful for, but um, no, beautiful morning and nice yes yeah i'm glad, glad to hear that glad to hear that um you know before we before we hit the record button uh, you were telling me about the the music that you're starting can you briefly before we get on to the with the podcast tell us more about the 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 museum yes um jabulu and this idea i'm pondering on for quite a while now um i think three four years it started brewing in my mind and the reason being is um, you know, a lot of my work is, is to write about shares and to show people around and show them technical analysis. And, and we do a weekly thing every day from a Tuesday to a Saturday. We do charts and we discuss the markets. And, and all over the years, I've built up a nice client base of subscribers. But some of these guys are all, I can almost say, 80 plusers. And they well, well, well known names in the in the um, you can almost say in the broking fraternity, and they all retired now. But they've got these beautiful stories that if they phone me, I always say, "But please just don't stop. I would love to hear them." And um, the other day, one of my friends, um, maybe some of the listeners will probably know him, is Fricky Kruger. Now, Fricky Kruger and Etern—that's just two names—and Lucas De Lange, another name—is um, guys that's been. On the markets for for more than decades. I mean, Fricky now, if you think about it, he was on the market around in the 1960s, yeah, from the 55, 60s, he was on the stock exchange. And one of the stories he told me that that I did not even think about it. In those years, they called a guy a market master. And that was the guy that announced a share if it starts to list. So what will happen is, that morning, let's say, for instance, it's Iskor or it's one of those bigger companies like a Blayfour Eitzig. Then this guy will uh, ring a bell and then he will say, listen, from this moment on, um, Iskor will list and then he will decide on the price and he will say, okay, it's going to start to trade at 50 cents as an example. And then everybody will just start to shout of buying and selling and then the share, uh, you must almost say, born into the stock exchange. And um, when I put down that phone that morning, I thought, but listen, if Fricky dies, this story will be gone and forgotten. I phoned him back immediately and I said, Fricky, there's just no way that we can leave these stories just to fall behind the wayside. And, and he said to me, you know, Franz, there's another thing about it. All my nice memoirs that I've got and, and nice old share certificates and nice stories, and they all laying here on boxes in my office. 
and my kids are all around the world and they're not interested in that because <laughs> that is not their hobby. That's not their, um, you can almost say career path that they do. And they, they involved with different things. And I said to him, listen, will you do me a favor? Just frame that or just send me all this stuff. Write me a nice letter. And then I will pick up here in, I've got a building here in Fosburg. We're busy renovating. It's about 150 square meters that I will have free, absolutely free because it's my own building. And um, I'm, the idea is to change it into a museum of memoirs and memories and stories of stock exchange, of business people with their nice success stories. Yesterday morning, someone phoned me, um, uh, this guy is now listed or his company is listed on the stock exchange and he started his business in a tiny workshop in a, in a mining town. And this now is an international company well-known across the world. And he said to me, listen, Franz, this is wonderful. We must actually call it the, Ho the, the Museum of Hope. He says, because if people can listen and see these stories developing and see them in front of their eyes with photos and maybe a little thing here and there, then people can start dream about the future again. Um, and then we can just put all the negativities, um, you know, behind us and then just carry on. Because, you know, in those years, and, and we, I know we're going to chat a lot about it this morning, but, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, there was a lot of people that went into the brokering business with almost no financial background at all. They, they just got involved because the commission was well and the company employed them and gave them sort of basic training to buy and sell and off they go. And, and most of them were brilliant marketers and they make a living out of it. Yes, nowadays there's all regulation and, and exams that the guys must write. And that's wonderful. In those days, it just shows you that if you actually do a lot of hard work, you can actually make a success of it. So my idea is with this museum and it will be in the middle of the career, is to put it up, open it up daily. I'm actually going to put my office in the museum um, where I can work on my computer. And if people come in, we can have a nice cup of coffee. Um, Christelle is also involved with my business, so I can always have time to have some coffee. And at my age, I, I like to share the wisdoms. I like to share the experiences. So these guys then can then come around, they can visit us, they can look at the beautiful walls with all the beautiful memoirs on and ideas, and then maybe donate something. And that is the idea to keep it for the future. And um, my, my idea is also is to draw up a tiny contract that it will never belong to me. And I will never sell it on to somebody else. It will always remain in that family's name. So when the guy, maybe like Fricky Kruger, passes away and his children wants the, the stuff back, we just give it badly back and then they can keep it. But for the time being, I'm happy to keep it and show it and display it on behalf of those wonderful stalwarts we all learned about and we dreamed to meet them. Yeah, that's that sounds very very beautiful, and and I also like to see the museum and watch the uh, and and see the evolution of of the financial markets from you know back in the day of the pits and, and the bucket shops and the like, and just see the old share certificates because everything now is just digital, and we, you know, just appreciate how 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 fortunate we are to have the markets as as we have them now. You so um, you know what I spoke to the guy um, during the week that actually developed the, the that you can almost say the network from the old uh, you know blackboards where the guys wrote on with chalk uh, the prices of the shares 
And most of the guys I know people don't even know that started off just writing shares in, in on these blackboards. And then some of the, the well-known brokers or the experienced brokers will realize that this guy is quite handy. And then they will employ him or they will bring them into the business and, and actually train them. So you know, those kind of things, as you say, nowadays, it's just digital. You know, you open up your laptop and 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 I, I decided that I'm going to I try to see if I can find some of those blackboards and I'm going to have my computer around to show people in those days. You know, I'm actually um, hard sore today because I know many years ago, I actually still had my own paperwork where I drew uh, graphs. Um, on a street corner in Clarkstop. And that's how I started with technical analysis. And you will not believe it, I threw them away. Uh-huh. And um, I mean, those those charts runs from the 1980s. And I just thought by myself, okay, now in a digital world, um, nothing will change. It, it, and, and I will not even remember that. And, and I cannot believe that I did something stupid like that. It was just in a box. And um, I just thought by myself, but who would like to see this? I mean, nobody wants to see that. And, um, well, I hope that um, some people will not make that stupid mistake that I did and um, maybe donate it to us so that we can have this beautiful, you can almost say a museum or a building of remembrance of all these wonderful stories. Yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's a, it's a great segue, uh, um, you know, you know, in, in that introduction there, you you touched, you know, the, the, the your experience dating back to, to the early, early 70s. Um, can you take us through how, what got you interested in, in the financial markets? Because, you know, I would assume that it wasn't as glamorous as it was, um, as, it, as it is today. Yeah, you know, in Jabulu, I was actually a, a newspaper salesman. Um, maybe just some little bit of a background Um my father, I lost at the age of three, and my mother um, was an alcoholic. Um, out of the shock, I think she, she became an alcoholic after she lost my father. And um, me and my brother ended up in, a, in an orphanage home. And um, at the age of four, instead of, um, you know, enjoying a young kid's life, um, one evening, two of us were selling bottles for um, icing sugar cookies at the bakery. Um, actually eat and I think the second or the third night that we popped in there the lady from in those days had still an old foxy and that was the uh, social worker from the town or from the council up and asked us what are we doing and long story short before we knew that we were in the orphanage house so that's how I started off um, and um, and then luckily my my grandmother realized or heard about it that we now um, stuck up in, in this house in, in Clarkstall. And then she applied to become our, as they, in those days, they called it a guardian uh, after us. And maybe for the people that's Afrikaans to listen, they will know the word fuch. And my grandmother was then um, our guardian in that time. So when we, we, we met her that first day, she sat around the table with us and she said to me, she said, listen, Franz, you're still a young chap. And, and she called me Francie. Um, she said, listen, um, I'm running a, a boarding house here. So the only way that we can um, sustain you in, in this house is that you need to buy a bread and a pint of milk uh, today so that we can actually have a, a living there. And I then picked up quite seriously and and 
after a few days playing in the street, playing um, soccer and rugby and and cricket in the street there in Clarkstop, and some people that will maybe can remember that. We grew up in a in a little town, Clarkstop, those days. Now it's a big town. And we stayed in a little house on the on the corner of Lisk and uh, Gulf Street. Nowadays it's an old house, but it doesn't matter. We played in the street and my friend told me, listen, man, why don't you start selling newspapers? And I immediately grasped onto that because I was desperately in 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 a in a place where I need a job so that I can buy a pint of milk and a bread today. So um, not long after that, I, I joined him and we were starting selling newspapers. And, and that's how I actually got involved in, let's say, in a, in a, like a working career. But what was nice about it, you know, with the newspaper selling, you, you get to know a lot of people. But I was standing here on a corner and then service clients from about, uh, we usually got the newspapers between half past three in the morning and four in the morning. So at around four o'clock, you were busy working on a corner uh, and selling newspapers. And then um, at around quarter to six, you will go and do your, your deliveries um, before you will go to school, you know, deliveries of people staying in the houses. And and um, I, I, in those days, uh, delivered a newspaper to a, a certain chap with the name was for Uncle of um, and I, I I don't have his surname unfortunately, and that specifically morning I I got there at about I think it was half past five or quarter to six I I rocked up in this place and I knocked on the door and I gave him his newspaper and he was absolutely furious he said to me listen you late and um, he was actually cross with me. And um, I said to him, but sorry, man, I'm, I'm on the street corner. Sorry that I'm a little bit late. Here's your newspaper. He said, but listen, this is not all. Let I show you what I do with the newspapers. And he took me to his study. And as I walked into the study, I saw all these newspapers stacked up you know, against the walls. And um, immediately I said to him, listen, if you want all the old newspapers, I will be able to get it from the other guys that that does not sell their newspapers and give it to you. And he said, no, you don't understand. And then he showed me that he is a trader. He said to me, but I'm a trader. I'm working in Clarkstorp on in, in the auction, selling um, animals during the day, but I'm also a trader. And um, he immediately showed me some graphs and he asked me now, what subjects do you do at school? And I told him, listen, I do a bit of um, maths and, and a bit of accounting. And I like that. And, um, it's nice for me to, to, you know, learn all those subjects. And he said, well, then I can make use of you. And he said, listen, here's a piece of paper. And he started introducing me to charts. And then before I knew, I was on the corner in the mornings, early in the mornings. And some guys will maybe remember these names like a Blaifur Eitzig and a Val River. And some of those mines, Inros Gold Mine, and, and, and some of those mines, Gencore Limited, um, he asked me then to draw it on a piece of graph next to the street, um, you know, underneath a, a, a light, a street light. And that's how I got introduced in the financial world by, by drawing charts at around half past four in the morning between uh, the green lights of the robot to, to sell newspapers. And then before I knew it, in about five, six months, um, I learned a lot from him. And when I was in um, in, in 1979, I knew, you know, all the chart formations like a head and shoulder, falling wedge, all those beautiful things because I did them on chart paper. And then he mm -hmm. will say to me, listen, 
will see if this now turn into a support or something will happen on this chart, this and that will happen to this share price. And for me, it was just a brand new world that opened to me. And um, so that's how I got involved with the financial world, not through a BCom degree or an MBA <laughs> or, or one, some fancy degree. I got involved either through newspaper selling and by the, the fun of, of delivering newspapers. <laughs> I suppose that was the, the uh, that newspaper delivery job was your best job you ever had because, you know, it led to what would be, uh, it led to a path of what would be your, your career for the rest of your life. You know what? Um, I'm nowadays sad that I don't see people selling newspapers because, you know what? I started selling newspapers. Um, I try to recall the year, but it was around in, in standard one in those years. And that was now in the years of, let's call it 1967, 68, around there. And, um, um, you know, you learn such a lot. I mean, to stand up in the morning at three o'clock to be isn't at a, a place where they drop off the newspapers at about half past three, quarter to four. Um, you need discipline. You need courage. You need, um, you know, almost commitment. And I've learned so much by selling newspapers. You know, you learn to smile. You learn to serve clients. You learn to, to, to help people be disciplined. And, and you know what, in those years and, and, Maybe the guy will listen. Um, and he was a very well-known rugby player, Mornay Dupassi. His father came and his grandparents came from Clarkson and they had a shop there. And I delivered newspapers to that, uh, that family. And they were wonderful people always assisting me. And what I've learned all through the newspapers was I quickly picked up that you know, the guy will probably buy every day a newspaper from me. And then one day he will skip because he's not around. And then two, three days, I'll miss him to sell him a newspaper. And then and eventually, I will maybe miss him as a client because he, he will lose interest. Then I realized, I said, listen, instead of having money and paying me immediately, I will give you the newspapers every day. I will leave it on your desk. I'll put it on your front door. I'll put it underneath the door. And then by the end of the week or by the end of the month, you'll just pay me. And that turned out to be a wonderful business because what happened was in, in those days, you know, a newspaper was maybe seven cents or eight cents or 12 cents a newspaper. So you earned commission, maybe one cent or two cents or whatever um, on a newspaper. And um, what will happen is this guy will probably owe you, let's say he will owe you um, 82 rand or whatever for a month or, or 60 rand. I cannot even remember. Then instead of, giving him change before you you put your hand into your pocket to give him some change when he pay you for the month's newspaper you will just say ah man, just keep it so you, you earned these wonderful tips much more than you ever ever made out of the commission of the of the of the newspapers and you know what since that day that i started selling newspapers i delivered and i gave my my grandmother uh, a bed and a pint of milk until the day that i finished my and that learned me a lesson of, of responsibility as well. And apart from that, you know, newspaper selling is just so integral of, of, of a businessman's life that you learn and you get to know people. You know, even nowadays, they don't sell newspapers on the, on the street corners again because we don't live in a city anymore. But I was always one of those guys that bought a newspaper because I just realized that some of these guys really struggle. But 
Um, I hope that the future can present something like that again. To teach or to, let's say, get young people involved by doing that. Um, because selling newspapers is a wonderful career. And you know what? If you, if you just read around all the financial stories, we'll pick up that a lot of successful business people were actually selling newspapers as young, young kids. And I'm 100% sure that that will definitely inspire them or did inspire them to become very successful later in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you seem to have had a, a very entrepreneurial personality from a very, very early age. Um, is that personality, personality type the main uh, thing that drew you into, into the financial market when you got introduced to you by... Um, by, 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 by that old uncle who, you know, turned out to be a mentor eventually. You know what? It, if you think about in Jabulu, you remember in, in those days, if you came out of an orphanage house and, and there was just no opportunity for you to go and study. So you had to make out of, and you know, it wasn't the case of you had to make, you, you actually just saw gaps and you actually just took them. Um, in standard seven, um, I was uh, one of the uh, school members uh, singing like all young kids do for the athletes to participate in a school event. And then a teacher came around and he said, listen, guys, you cannot just sit there and sing all these songs. You need to participate. And he, he, he forced me actually to run 800 meters. And I came second last. My friend Charles came last. And when we finished the race, I was kaput. I was dead on my feet. He then said to me, listen, you've got potential. And I mean, I came second last. So, I mean, I didn't know where he saw any potential of that. And he then said to me, listen, why don't you come and join us? And he, in those days, you know, it wasn't like an invitation. It was like almost a, a, a demand or instruction. And then we started training. And and from there, you know, you, you get the discipline with the newspapers because I had a full day. You know, if you think about it, you, you stand on the street corners, let's say from four o'clock to let's call it around six o'clock. In quarter to seven, you had your breakfast, off you go to school. And then half past two, um, when other kids are back at home, you get your first newspapers around quarter to, to two o'clock. Then you start delivering till about quarter past three and then you go and train or for athletics, and then only late in the afternoon or early evening, you'll probably do your homework. So, of course, I wasn't this brilliant chap on, on school. I just passed because I was just so busy with other things. But the athletic world also created a business opportunity because when I, I trained a lot, and of course, as you train a lot, then you get to a point where you you get recognized. And I, I got provincial colors in, in those days, what they called cross country. And maybe for the kids that, that, that is maybe this morning listening to me and say, listen, France, you had some opportunities that I haven't got. In actual fact, I got my, in those days, Western Transvaal colors. But I could not go to the SA champs, although I was good enough, because I didn't have some techies to run in. So I ran bare feet. And they dropped me off that. They said, listen, you need to have at least techies to run. So I couldn't participate. And out of that running career, eventually I started running comrades. And through the comrades running, I met a wonderful chap. Um, he unfortunately passed away now, Foster. He was the, the comrades champ in 1979. And I met him one morning on a, on a morning run. 
And as we passed, he actually called me over. And I always believe that, you know, you, you must get, you must take opportunities and you, make a, you must make a success out of it. And he called me over and said, listen, where are you going? And I said, no, I'm on my way for a morning practice run. And he immediately said to me, listen, just join me. And I mean, he ran me to pieces because, I mean, he was just in a different class. So we became big friends. And then he told me later in life, listen, but you cannot just run this 80 kilometers, 100 kilometers a week. You need to get up to about 140, 160 kilometers a week, become um, almost, you can say, competitive. And by running a normal comrades, I eventually started running a brilliant silver and got sponsors from that. And through that running career, I then went over to, to, um, to actually study through UNISA. I started studying in UNISA while I was in the army because after matric in those years, if you did not have a bursary or your parents haven't had money to go and let you study, you either went to the, the army or to the police or maybe if you're lucky to the bank or to the railway or whatever where you could get a job. And I started studying while I was in the army. And um, when I was busy with my running career, I worked on a, on a mine, in, in most guys know this mine, JCI, Johannesburg Consolidated Investment. And even in those days, that was the early 80s. One day the guys called us in, they sold the mines over to the Harmony Group. And these guys did not believe in personnel guys. And I was in the personnel then. And they said, listen, we're going to close this department. And it was two of us, a friend of mine, Dave Jenkins, he's also now passed on. And um, he was older than me. And I said to the manager, Manpower, then I said to him, listen, I think rather retrench me because I'm younger. And then um, Dave can maybe carry on. And then the manager, Manpower, said to me, okay, but I will retrench you. But I know you're a hard worker. I will give you a, a good package, you know, three or four months or whatever. And you can have your company car for four months. And I went over from there out of my selling career on the newspapers to Sunlam. And I became a normal agent with them. And I worked my ass off. Because what, what happened was, you know, you were running competitively. Um, if you do 160 kilometers a week just running. And eventually later on, I did some um, cycling as well. Um, to do the cycling and the running. And during the day, you need to make your appointments. And in the evenings, you need to see them, uh, the clients. And luckily, my wife was always involved assisting me. And um, you need to see the clients and next day again, and you need to write up some policies or investments. Uh, I, in those days, the average were eight, eight policies. And you, uh, we had a technique that I actually learned from the newspapers already. The, the biggest selling technique on, in anything is if you present a newspaper or a policy or an investment product to anyone, um, let's say, for instance, you, you will say to the guy, listen, you know that you're short on death benefit or you need to work on your retirement. Um, I believe that you need to spend, let's say in those days, a hundred rand per month to boost your retirement annuity or whatever that case may be. Then you need to keep quiet. And you need to, and we always call that, that that's the golden, that silence, I don't want to say that golden piece of silence that you have before the client makes its decision. So you need to then keep your mouth shut and then you leave the client to make the decision. And 80 to 90%, the client will after that 
peace of quietness will say, yes, I accept. I know that I'm short in, let's say, death cover. And then you will sell him the policy because he accepts that. That peace that you need to be quiet. You also learn that from selling newspapers because what will happen on a street corner will actually show the newspaper. The people will see what is the headlines of the newspaper. And then you will just look them in the eye and stand dead still. Don't tell them they need to buy a newspaper. And then they will actually call you. Then you know that you will sell that product. So out of the running and out of the newspaper selling, and even with Sunlam, uh, with their wonderful training that they usually give their, their agents or brokers, um, I learned a lot. And through the running then, I built up a, a complete business of, of clients out of running fraternity because I knew the guys and I know them a lot. And, and then they will ask you, listen, can't you come and help me with this or that and the other? And before you know, you've got this client. And, and that was the early part of, of my entrepreneurial um you can almost say life. And how did it seem that it went over to shares and technical analysis? Very early in my life, I realized that you will, you will not be able to retire on a normal pension. Even when we, in those years, worked at the mine, and I mean, I, I was at that time a senior personnel officer, and I really had a good salary. I said to my wife, I said, Erica, there's just no way that we will be able to retire on this what we what we save and what we and and our expenses, and we did a lot of things. I mean, me and my wife did a lot of things, but that's how we started. I can remember in in the years of I think it was 1984, 82. Uh, I think 84. Let's say 84. We sat outside our house, and at six o'clock in the evening, um, radio today. There was a guy there that always read out the share prices. And then me and Erica was actually listening to four or five share prices, write down the names because we actually could not afford a newspaper then, buy it, write down the names, put it on a graph paper, and then from there decide if we need to buy or sell that specific share. And that's how we started as, as from a simple hobby early in my life, slowly but surely evolving into a, a, a business mechanism you can actually make a living off that. And, and that's why I want to, I'm so happy that you speak to me because as a young child or a young man just listening to this inset this morning, take whatever is in your environment around you, the opportunities, and make a success of that. Um, you know, one of the things, and I know we talk about shares and we talk about all different things here, I was sponsored those years by two companies, well-known companies in South Africa. The one was Lepin. Um, they, they sponsored us with a, a, a product where you um, actually energize yourself when running. So it was like a, a, a booster to run with it. And one of my other uh, sponsors were Hitech South Africa, the shoe guys. And out of those two companies, when Lepin moved back to Germany, we asked the guy, listen, where can we get this formula because we need it? And when they left it, we actually developed a, a formula similar to that. And we eventually then sold it onto the mines and make some wonderful money out of it. On the other hand, the shoe guys, I met all the shoe manufacturers. And from there, we developed our own safety boot eventually and sold that onto the mines. And that created wonderful opportunities. So out of newspaper, out of running, out of 
anything that you do, there is always an opportunity to make a living out of it or to become successful. And I don't know why I must say this, but I'm going to say that many years ago, we once got a wonderful order from the mines. And I think it was here in the 80, I don't even know. Let's call it in, I don't even know. It was a order for t-shirts, to print t-shirts for a big mine for a safety award. And we haven't had the money. And I think the order then was just to buy the, the t-shirts was around 100,000. And me and my wife went to the bank because we always believe that the bank will borrow you some money. And we went to the bank, and I don't want to mention the bank's name, but the bank manager looked at me and looked at my wife, Erica's, and he just said, listen, um, we, don't going, we are not going to borrow you this money. Short and sweet. And I felt like a dog. And I walked out there and I said to her, listen, I'm going to sell every bit of shares that we've got, every saving I'm going to cash in so that we can buy these T-shirts and we're going to fulfill this order. And since then, we never asked the bank ever again for any money. So what it tells you is you need to have cash, build up cash in some sort of way to do a business. I can remember when I was in Matrik in 1979, when I left school, I had about 300 rand out of newspaper selling profits in a simple savings account. And that's the bottom line. And, and that's exactly as you say, you must use all these opportunities to make a living and to build yourself a future. Now, I ran comrades and I, I wasn't good enough for a gold medal. Once the best position I ever got in the race was a position 12 and I got cramps and eventually I fell behind and I came 64th and I knew then that I, I will probably struggle with cramps and I will probably never run a gold medal on the comrades. That did not mean that I stopped. I ran brilliant silver medals. My best time was 624 on the comrades. That is a good time. And then I went over to Athlone and I became a springbok and I went to Germany. And even there, I got some flat tires and I couldn't finish the race. And that, that was all disappointments. And even today in my trading career, I always say to myself, listen, like in the newspaper days when I had two or three newspapers left, I always said to myself, but there must be somebody in Clarkstop that wants a newspaper and I will sell them on to them. Yeah. And so even today, when I'm, when I'm trading, I always say, I'm maybe not the best trader in the world. And I always relate back to the running. If I can be the 64th best trader in South Africa or the world, I can make a living. And then you are suddenly becoming successful because you've got a goal and you are committed. That's uh, that, that was a very, very interesting approach and, uh, you know, very, very interesting story. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you started off a career with, with um basic tech with tech more uh, when the with technical analysis do you still remember the um the first share you bought or and and the chart pattern or the reasons why you bought that share <laughs> yeah no i cannot remember the first share that we bought but i can remember the first big loss that we did. um yeah in the 80s you know everybody was in hype i mean it was almost like the markets today the guy buy the share and it goes up and um one of the shares that we bought was Rand London. I, I don't even know if the guys can even remember that. And I think it was a share that traded around 32 cents or whatever. And that, that weekend we drove 
And we stayed in a little mining town with the name of Western Area, and we drove past Krukersdorp, and we saw this sign, Rand London. And I said to Erika, listen, my dear, if this is the signboard of the company that we bought, I think Monday morning, first thing, I must sell the share because, yo, it looks terrible. And that Monday morning, that company went under. It was suspended. So, um, so the, beauty, the beauty about it, yes, we, I, I can remember some of the shares that we bought in those years, Tiger Brands, um, but not Val River because they were just too expensive. You, in those days, you had to buy a minimum of 100 shares. So um, you couldn't buy less. And I mean, Val River were just too expensive. So we always dabbled with the, you know, the Ellsberg mines and those mines that were trading around 30 cents or 20 cents or 50 cents, whatever. But, um, that that Rand, Rand London share learned me a lesson that everything does not go up in a straight line. And um, But I mean, I cannot even remember how many shares I've bought and sold in my life. And nowadays, I'm 99% involved with the Aussie, the top 40 index. Um, in actual fact, I, I, I only buy a share really if it needs, if I think it's a long-term hold and I'll just buy it and I'll probably tend to forget about it to sell it. Um, but otherwise I will concentrate on the Aussie. So I, I know you as a, you know, as a technical analysis person, which is, you know, now, now, that, now that I know your story isn't too surprising. Um, you know, do you, have you, dabbled with fundamental analysis or uh, throughout your career has, has it always been just technical analysis? No, you know what? I was fortunate enough um, many years ago, I, I met the chap, uh, Mr. Lucas De Lange. I mean, uh, uh, he was the editor of Finance Week those years. And I actually, because of I, I did an, uh, a BA degree and my, my majors were psychology, sociology and criminology. Um, I actually wanted to do an MBA and because I like emotion and I like sociology, I wanted something to, to do with emotion on markets. And I actually met him and he said to me, listen, but there's no one, it's not an MBA that you can do um, in that, but you can learn more about technical analysis. And I, I, I went to a course with him and over the years, he helped me a lot. And I was fortunate when he, he sort of retired, now he's not retired, he's in his 80s now, but um, he's still doing a lot of work. Um, I was fortunate to buy his, his whole bookshelf full of books. And, and I was fortunate to work through all of them. And that's where I got a lot of fundamental knowledge. And um, I also wrote for a port many years ago. And because of those articles, you need to do a lot of fundamentals. So what happened was with the technicals, I got involved with the fundamentals. And I, I, I learned a lot through books. But then I had brilliant mentors like Mr. Lucas De Lange that actually assisted me. Even a guy like David van Ruin that was also an editor for a port that, that will quickly help you with places. And then you know what? I've learned a lot because of, of the technical analysis. A lot of my, my readers, actually, they are, are, are brilliant fundamentalists. And they always ask me, even fund managers, um, we've got clients as fund managers, they will do the fund manage, manage work. And then they will just ask you to time the share for them to get a buy level or a sell level. And then usually the guy will tell you why he likes the share. And then you will learn the fundamentals. Now, you know, if, if you look at my trading career or my career involved with the stock exchange, let's say, let's leave those years of the newspaper out. Let's say from 1980 till now, you know, that's a that's 41 years. 
um, just trading shares, buying, selling, and and you've got these all these wonderful clients. Yes, I dabbled a lot with the fundamentals. I actually like to actually use the fundamentals to, to give me background before I will actually buy or sell a share. And on the other hand, remember, I've got a wonderful daughter that's in the business with me that is very qualified on the fundamental side. I mean, she did the honors and all that in, in, in accountancy. And she did also, uh, um, what do you call it before you become a CA? But she did that as well. And, and uh, that scholarship. So wonderful assistance there. So I'm, I'm actually fortunate. Even at my age, I learn a lot of fundamentals. And that's through my clients and even from Christelle. But on the emotional side, um, because you learn, you know, out of your running career, out of your, your, your newspaper selling career, out of the Sunlum career, out of the normal business career, you learn so much about emotions. And you near, you learn those two, um, you can almost say extremes of fear and greed. And I've actually um, got to a point where I can, I know when there's too much fear in the market or much um, beat in the market and according to that i can point an opportunity for me yes i do use fundamentals i'm not qualified as a fundamentalist i love it but um, i do my timing on the on the on the graphs and i know a lot of people will say this morning they know that it's the time in the market that counts and it's not the timing of the market now that works wonderful if you are 25 and 30 and 35 when you're suddenly 65 and 70, then time in the market can maybe be a problem. So for me, um, it's always emotion. And you know, nowadays people tend to forget. Everybody talks about fundamentals and it's wonderful. And look at value shares. For many years, value shares were just plain forgotten on the markets and everything was momentum. In some of those companies, the price to earnings ratios were so rich nobody could believe that they will they will go up so if you talk about fundamentals it's not always the two scenario that will bring break, uh, take shares higher it eventually takes shares higher if the value is correct it's usually the momentum and the the the, the swing in the moods of, of 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 buyers and sellers that makes the share price higher and i know you can maybe sit 10 years on a share i'm i know if you look at something like a Tiger Brands, it was 25, 30 Rand many years ago. And if you still keep it today, it's well above 100 Rand. Very few people can handle those swings. I've seen it over the years. People are so keen to hold onto a share. But then suddenly what happens if the market turns upside down, they become suddenly sellers. So they haven't got the nerve to carry on. And to my earlier business career when i bought something either property or anything because we did not just buy shares we used property as well to to, to build a pension when i got to a point where i realized that the property prices are wonderful and i can get a wonderful price for that property i will sell it on and i will always use that capital to regenerate and and earn a new income from that so yes uh, maybe something that we can maybe mention to the listeners. I know that some people inherit a lot of money or they come out of rich families. That's something different. We sometimes talk about old money. It is completely different. When you come out of my sort of background, and I believe 85% of South Africa comes out of that background, 
then you need to become a trader. If you make some good money out of a profit or a house or a car or whatever, sell it and buy something cheap again, build it up and sell it again. You know, me and my wife worked out the other day. By the way, I'm 41 years uh, married. We worked out we had 25 properties in our life. And Erica mentioned something. She said, you know what? We, we are just so stupid that we always buy a property that needs a lot of work, fix it <laughs> up, and then sell it for a profit. And that helped us. So, yes, you need fundamentals, but you need to be clever enough to lock in your profit, and you need to go on. Yeah, that's a, that's a quite 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 interesting. And uh, congratulations on forty one years of marriage. That's a long long time. Um, can you take us through your trading approach and um, you know what what are some of your favorite chart patterns that you're looking for in the market? And uh, I know you know when watching you on you know YouTube or on Business Day, your your charts are typically very very clean. Um, with with maybe a moving average here and there, but usually it's just you know you and price has it always been like that or um you know has it you know changed over the years no Njaburu. um you know what for me um emotion in markets is the biggest thing so of course i will always look at an extreme situation um where it's either very overbought and very oversold and i usually use a stochastic i sometimes use an rsi as well but most of the time i will use a, a stochastic and then i will combine it with the proper candle and one thing that that i use that maybe a lot of traders traders don't use and that's why i concentrate mostly on on maybe one or two, two instruments to trade is you need to see how the candle develops so you don't need to wait for the candle to finish because you need to see the action within that candle and for me that is quite important so what i will do is i will use this extreme um uh, overbought or oversold situation and then i will watch the candle and i will see what happens inside the candle because you get what we call nowadays we get candle painters where the candle looks wonderful and you believe that it's going to go up or down. And just after that, suddenly it is going the other way. And especially nowadays with the amount of stimulus that's in the markets, um, you can get easily a candle that actually mis mislead you. So for me, yes, extreme situations. And yes, you are, you're right. Um, I use a plain, for me, the most important um, indicator, by the way, is price. Now, you can maybe believe that your share is worth a thousand rand. If it trades today and it only sells for 800 rand, then that's the price. Uh, that's 800 rand. So for me, I use that. I use a stochastic, usually a slow stochastic. I've seen earlier in my life that, uh, that the RSI worked well when I was younger. Now I'm at around uh, a little bit older, so I'll probably use a stochastic. And then I know some of my older clients and some older friends, they move over then later on to a MACD. Wow. And um, it's just a case of, of the, the emotion in the market. And, 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 and even time frames I've seen during the years, I trade the Aussie on a 30-minute chart. Um, but um, I know some of my friends goes over actually to a 90-minute or 120-minute chart. But I still active enough. I'm I'm in front of the computer all day because I do a lot of trading training um, on the Aussie. Um, so I use a 30 minute chart to make all my decisions, <clears throat> and then I send that out. But for me, 
simple charts. Um, I know I've seen all these wonderful charting patterns, and I know that there's some traders that's that's definitely uh, much more experienced than I am and much more successful. I'm happy for uh, about the uh, you know on the return that I get. Um, I'm not a fussy guy, so I'm happy for that, and um, that's about that. Uh, yeah, that's 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 pretty nice. You know, I I like what you what you said there, but you know, um, the tr- the price being the only truth in the market. Um, if, so can you you know take me through your risk management uh, methodology or, or, and the risk management approach? And is there any traumatic experience that uh, um, you know you can con- attribute to your risk management strategy too? You know what? Um, for me personally, I hate to take a stop loss. Um, simple being is if even if I trade the Aussie, I always trade small enough. And I must be honest with you, this last year was absolutely horrendous because we had wonderful uh, opportunities to make money as the market went down last year. And then I went long. And when my system started to, to call a short, I started building on a short. And um, I'm still short and I'm wrong and I'm working on that average. And now what my longest trade, I think, in, in my history was a, a NASPERS trade that I had and I was wrong. And luckily, I traded small enough and I could eventually trade it in a profit after four years of working. And that brings me back to that thing of 41 years of marriage. If you just divorce, if you just chase your wife away or whatever the case may be, and you don't give her opportunity or you give you yourself an opportunity. So for me, I trade in, in very small increments um, and I hate to take stop loss. I will work on averages. I will eventually trade myself into a profit. And the simple reason for that is when you're in business, and I always try to use this in, as an example. If you have a coffee shop and you've got maybe the average of selling, let's call it 100 coffees a day. Suddenly that day, you only sell two cups of coffee. What are you doing that evening at close? Are you burning the shop? Are you throwing the windows and, and all the all the out on the street? Don't pay your rent and just run away because that's what you call a stop loss. Or are you coming back the next day and say, listen, I'll wait for my clients and I'll work back onto a hundred cups. For me, trading is not a one-day game. For me, trading is a business. So if I'm wrong, I just work on it the next day. And even if it takes me a little bit longer, eventually I trade myself into a profit and I'm happy. And now you're coming to a very interesting point on risk management. A lot of traders, and I always teach my guys that, moment I hear the word that somebody wants to make a living out of trading, I'm always nervous. And the reason why I'm saying that is if you want to make a living out of trading, you need to have a lot of capital behind you and you need to have a lot of experience behind you. And I know that the Aussie chart usually takes about four years to become successful. Because what I've seen over the years, if people constantly take stop losses, after about the fifth or the sixth stop loss, they throw in the towel. Now, you know what? If, if I ran comrades many years ago, and every time that I had a blister, or my techies were not nice, or I got cramps, 
and I threw in the towel, I would have never finished a comrade. So for me, it's quite simple. I hate to take stop losses. I actually, I cannot actually say I hate it. I can actually say I don't like it at all. I'm, I'm trying to trade 100% out of the, without a stop loss. Unless if I buy a company, that's something different. If I buy a company and I see that the, 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 the debt levels or the management or the directorship or whatever the case may be um, is, is starting to, do, to turn upside down and something goes wrong, then I will take a stop loss and I will walk away. But on yep. normal trading, I mean, there's just no way that the top 40 index can be suspended because then we haven't got the market. And there's just no way that the top 40 index can go tomorrow morning to a million pounds. Uh, points. That's also not possible. So you you will always get opportunities in between. That's why I always say if somebody wants to trade full time, I always ask the person, do you have any other forms of additional income? And even where I am today, I can make a living out of trading. I always have extra income from other ways. So I've either got places that I rent out, I've got rental income, or I've got, um, in my case now, I've got enough money to have a, 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 what we call an income from out of your investments. So I trade for me as a part of my income, but not 100%. And, and I don't think it's wise to go and say, listen, now I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to sit ne next to the beach and I'm going to trade for an income and I have no other income sources. And because why do I say that? Because the moment you start to force trades, that's where the problem comes. I can remember on our Aussie group, I think once it was 17 days that we did not find a trading opportunity. And some of the guys on the group said, listen, the clerk, are you still around? Are you still alive? Um, have you gone blind? What do you don't see? And I just said, let's wait for the indicators. Let's wait for them to get stretched. Let's get. Let's wait for the 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 the, the formations or the candles or whatever the case may be. If you ask me now, now what is my favorite formation? I love a falling wedge. I love a rising wedge. I love um, head and shoulder patterns, inverse head and shoulder patterns, tweezer tops, tweezer bottoms. And the moment you hear all those formations, you will always hear. They will come out of extreme situations in the market when the fear um, content is just so big or the greed content is just so big. There's always that opportunity. And then why do I make a living out of, of trading? How? Why can I make money out of it? Why? Because I always, but always in trading, take the easy money. I never wait for the, I, I never wait for the position to run get tired because then sometimes you don't make money. So for me, on the Aussie, 100 points, 200 points, here and there, maybe sometimes a 700 or 800 point, I'll take that. And then on the other hand, if I'm wrong that day, I will sit on that position and I'll wait for the indicators before I will add onto that position. And then I will take the easy money and work onto that average until I'm fine. Okay. And that is the big thing. I think people see... Trading as this, as this one night, wonderful way of making money. And that is absolutely nonsense. And why do I take the easy money? And I made the joke a few weeks on ago, a few weeks ago on a radio program. And I made the, the, the story goes like this. 
You know, I stay in a very tiny town, Fosburg, where there's only 100 people staying. And they, there's an old hotel here that dates out of the 1880s. And they, there was a guy coming here to have a beer. And he wanted to pay the, for the beer with two Bitcoin coins. And at that point, it was around $65,000 a coin. And then the barman said to me, listen, but listen, this is a lot of money. He said, yes, I'm here to buy the whole town out and I'm going to put up a plant for Tesla. And what happened was that was when Bitcoin was $65,000. Now, the other day when Bitcoin was $30,000, I see the same guy walking around in town only looking for a place to rent. <laughs> Why does that happen? Because he did not take the easy money. When Bitcoin was at 65,000, irrespective of the instrument and how do you understand it or not, if you have a share or an instrument or an Aussie or anything, I believe take the easy money. And remember, this comes out of my upbringing. I, 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 I haven't got the opportunity to have a share um, and then just hanging on to the share for dear life because I've seen over the years when do you want to sell a share? When the share is under pressure, when your child needs to go and study, when you've got your car that you need to fix or your house that, that you want to do something on the renovating side, then you need to sell the share and then the share price is rock bottom. So don't fall into this trap to say, yes, you can buy a share. You know, Steinoff, if you think about Steinoff and you talk, we're talking about trading nowadays, there's more people that lost money on Steinoff than people that took their profit early on Steinoff. Because some guys said, I've made my money. Steinoff had a beautiful rally. But I'd rather take my money and I go. And one of my philosophies always were the following, is when I've got money left and I see another opportunity, maybe in property, maybe in anything else. I was early in my life, I also had a farm where I farmed Amand cattle for many years. And we always use that money to either buy a flat, rent it out or whatever. So I, I always diversify. So my trading is also a diversification of my portfolio. So it's not the holy grail. Yes, I use the technicals. Yes, I make money. Yes, I love my job. Yes, I, 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 I cannot stop doing it. I just love it. But it's not the holy grail. It's just part of my life. And it's just part of my income stream. And some months I've got brilliant months where I'm, I'm smiling. And some months when I struggle, like the last six, seven months, this last six weeks is wonderful again, that I struggled that the market just went against me. And I just adapt to it. And I just play the ball. And I just wait for it. And to finish this off, you know, when South Africa won the world champs, the previous rugby world champ, Guy Rassi Erasmus, that was the coach, told the guys 10 minutes before the end, he just said, stick to your game plan. Don't change it. Just stick to it. And that's what I want to say to traders. When you've got a formation that works, when you've got a, a, a formula that works or a trading plan that works, don't stop use that. Stick to that. If it's wrong for six months or six weeks, my biggest thing is when I, when I teach people on trading, um, um, trading opportunities and trading methods, the moment the guy say to me, but I've just, I've, I've, I've had such a wonderful month now. I'm going to buy me, me six or seven trading books and I'm going to work on this. Or I've seen this new brilliant plan on, on trading. 
Now, I will tell the guy, start with trade so small because you're going to lose money. Trading is like a discipline. It, you can almost say engrave it in your mind, set it in your mind, stick to that model, work around that model, and then eventually you will become successful. You know, there's only 5% of traders around the world successful. And why are they successful? Because they stick to their plans. They do not alter. Yes, they read on and they live from this chap or maybe to refine it a little bit, but um, they don't change their models of success. They stick to that. Yeah, yeah, that's some 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 good advice there. Um, you mentioned the there on 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 that insert there that um, you, you don't like taking stops. Um, how do you protect yourself against an open-ended loss, and um, how how much do you typically risk on 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 any given trade? Um, how much of your 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 account are you risking on any given trade? For me, it's quite simple. I know that some guys just use a three percent risk. For me, I trade small enough that I know that I've got enough capital to see that trade through. So what I will do is, let's say the Aussie is at 40,000. And if I do take a, a, a short there and suddenly the market run to 50,000 and that's going to be 100,000 rand on one contract, I know that I've got enough capacity to wait for the market to go to maybe 60,000. Then I add one. And the first day or second day that it drops, you into a profit. And I know it sounds stupid to think like that. But you know, if you look at the mine, if you look at some of these big businesses, sometimes they run into losses for years and then suddenly they turn around because they stick to their models. So for me, it is discipline, discipline, discipline. Sometimes what I do is if I've got an initial trade that I'm wrong with and this market goes against me and I take that second one, the moment I see that my model does not work, I will close it as close to that level as possible and I'll just wait. And I'll just wait for this market to run dead tired. And the other thing that on that, on stop losses, why, why does people take constant stop losses? Because they swing their minds 100% between long and short, long and short, long and short. They, they do that constantly. For me, it is quite simple. I use the bigger fundamental um, um, you can almost say a, a fundamental pattern. Now, if we look at this, let's just talk about this. And that's why I, I'm, it's good that you mentioned stop losses and risk strategy. We're sitting on an 18-year bull market. We're sitting on the most expensive S&P in the world in history. Now, will you then out of an 18-year bull market, suddenly every day go long and you know that you're playing with fire? So it is easier for me then to build a tiny short and build it slowly bits and pieces and take my money on the short, take my money on the short. And then suddenly you get like a, a, a Corona effect and the market fall to pieces. I can tell you now, you will see when the next bear market comes, doesn't matter when it's coming, there will be more people wiped out on longs than people that were planning shorts for over years. And the reason being, People are under the understanding that markets cannot fall. Markets cannot drop. Know what? I read a book on portfolio management over the last, this guy said, you must give me a portfolio that can work for a hundred years. Not two years, not five years, not 10 years, a hundred years. And maybe you know, but you know which, which asset class formed the best over a hundred years. 
Um, and strangely equities? enough, it was not equities, it was gold. Because some of the shares that we've got nowadays will be gone in 10 years. We'll probably maybe don't even know the name of Facebook maybe in 10 or 15 years because the world is evolving. So if you think about it, if you've got all your money into the fangs at the moment and you believe that they can just go up and suddenly the world change and there's no fangs anymore, you will lose all your money if you've got an investment that, that can prove that over time. So that's why I always say, look at your bigger picture and then you say to yourself, um, where is going to be the easy money? The easy money at the moment is with stimulus. Just go long. Buy every dip. Now it's the same. If you look at the world, the world is sick, full, pumped with stimulus. Nowadays, if you run the comrades or you run the Olympics and you use a stimulant and they don't catch you out, you're the champ of the world. If you buy property and you buy everything on debt and you're becoming a rich man and you're on top of the world, if you to get business to you if you if you mess around with um, um, contracts and you suddenly uh, uh, drive them um, uh, driving around with a Porsche the champ of the world that's wrong if you pump the money in the markets with stimulus and the market goes up and everybody thinks they're brilliant that's wrong we will get to a point where two values are count again and that will be when we will see that some of these shares really are just so overpriced. Jabulu, if we think about this market, and I know we talk about technicals and trading strategies, this whole market at the moment is nothing else than liquidity-driven. Nothing else. This is, is fundamentals. I mean, you can maybe speak to a brilliant fund manager, a value manager, for many years, he, were wrong. he was wrong because he loved commodity shares and he loved value shares and everybody thought he is absolutely stupid because his funds didn't perform and eventually they turned around and became big successes it's the same with the world if liquidity dries up all this fun all these games are over so i'm just saying to myself stick to a trading plan where you trade small enough where you can manage your your loss, let's call it a loss in, in inverted commas, uh, you can take a loss or you manage a loss for a while because the markets will not carry on like this now forever. If you look at any chart, top 40, NASDAQ, S&P 500, does not matter. You know, they are just so topish. I mean, our market in actual fact is so cheap against S&P 500. The S&P 500 sits at the 40-year of, or a PE of 40. That means if you buy the S&P today, you need to wait 40 years on earnings and dividends to get your money back. Is that a wise decision? No, it's not. So if you talk about risk, rather look at calculated risk like a 40 PE. And if you have a risk on maybe a day trade or a three-day trade or a seven-day trade, rather trade small. And I always use it and the guys that knows me well, they know my formula. I say for every Aussie contract that I trade, I'm talking about the contract in RAND point one. I always say that you need between 250,000 and 300,000 RAND to back that contract. So if you have that sort of backing and you trade one or two contracts or three contracts and you've got a million RAND behind you, 
market cannot wipe you out. You can maybe be wrong for a while. Yes, you can maybe be wrong for me, like, like in my case, four years with NASPERS, but you, you will get out of profit. And the reason why I'm saying that is, that's why trading is wonderful, but it's not the holy grail. Don't just say, I'm going to trade for a living and I'm going to make a living out of it and you sit with 100,000 100, or 200,000 behind it, then you will not make it. Other day, I, ch I chatted to a friend of mine that's involved with the engineering business. And he said to me, Franz, how much money do you have in your account to trade the, 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 the Aussie? And I said to him, listen, how much money do you have in your workshop? And he said, you know what? If I just count all these machines and I counted the cost, and the building, I sit on easily 10, 12 million rands of, 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 let's say, product here. I said, well, I don't have that kind of money. I don't also don't have that in the Aussie. I can be successful with much less than that. So business and trading is exactly the same. We as traders always believe that trading is like gambling. And that is where it's wrong. Trading is a business. If you see it as a business, for a week or two weeks or a month, then you'll make a success. Otherwise, day by day, you lose money. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, so, can you, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, with 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 regards to risk there and and, and managing your loss and, and trading through um, a loss, can you can you walk me through a, a a short example or what do you, what, what what do you do or no when you short when you short a stocks when you short a stock and it keeps going higher and you keep adding to that short. Um, you know, surely at some point that loss, you know, gets big enough. Okay, what I do is... If we're loss is, is big enough for you to, to cut your losses short. Okay, let's say, let's say, for instance, you go short on the index at, to explain the system, it's, 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 it's working as follows. Let's say you go short at 50,000 on the Aussie. Mm -hmm. okay. And you see that the Aussie just runs, 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 and you don't add up on that position. And you take a position, let's say, at 54,000. Okay, write down mm -hmm. 50,000 and write down 54,000. Now the market drops. Remember, I always use an extreme overboard situation or a nice candle or a formation to get me in with the second or the first position. Mm -hmm. Let's say on the second position, you get a beautiful formation and you go short at 54,000 and the market drops 53,000 mm -hmm. and you close that second position. So you take a thousand points profit on the second position. What happens to the average of the 50,000 position? It actually goes up to 51,000. You agree? Mm -hmm. and that's how I trade. So then I will have an average on my first one of 51,000. I wait for the market to go up maybe to 56,000. I take my 600 points or 500 points. What happens to that initial first contract? The average goes higher. So eventually, after three months or four months or eight months, it doesn't matter how long it is, that initial first contract average is so high. If the market turns around and it drops 6,000 points, I've got a brilliant profit. Oh, so and you... That brings that brings me to that fundamental, that fund manager that maybe told me this, that told me the story once. He said, if I do my homework on a share, let's call it APSA Bank. He wants, he wants to buy APSA. And he starts to buy APSA, let's call it at 100 Rand. 
and he loves the business and he loves the business model. And suddenly there's a bear market and apps are false from a hundred rand to 60, 60 rand. What will he do? He will just buy more. If you look at George Soros, they start to buy or sell an instrument. They've got so much money behind them that they do not take stop losses. They just add onto those positions and they use averages. And that's exactly what I do. So I always trade within my league. And I've got that formation that I always say, one contract on the Aussie, 150,000 rand. And I always guide. And if I'm wrong, sometimes I will sit weeks and don't add on to that position for the market to give me the right opportunity. Oh, so you're almost like, uh, you know, fading the fading a rally and, you know, reducing your average entry on, on the trade. Constantly. I I'd always work on my average. So what I do is I'm like a cricketer. My, my cricket captain will say, listen, France, we need, we need 80 runs to win this game. We've got five days left. So what do I do? I play so cautiously that I can bat for five days and then eventually get 80 runs. So for me, it's not the case that I must close tonight. It's not the case that I must take tomorrow 10,000 rand out of the market. For me, it's part of my business. So I always say to myself, out of my whole portfolio, <clears throat> I do not want to risk more than 20% on the Aussie or on day trading or as you will call trading as such. I will never go bigger than that. That's the maximum that I will risk. And I've learned that over the years through my Jewish friends. They always say, when you get older, you can use up to 10 or 20% of your money in high-risk instruments, very high-risk. And you must actually be so risky that you know that you can lose that money. You will not take your pension money. And for me, that's exactly what I do. I put in around 20% of my portfolio in the Aussie or the S&P 500 or wherever I trade it. I will manage that money that I will not lose everything. Yes, it is very demoralizing. See that your, your position is completely wrong and that the, the market comes out with, with another thing that takes the market higher or lower or whatever the case may be. If you can stick to it. You know, if you look at your lifespan, let's say your lifespan is 70 years or 80 years. Out of that 80 years, how many years is a struggle? Plenty. Eventually you retire and eventually you sit with a cup next to the beach and you have your wife and your grandchild and your grandchildren and you enjoy it. Suddenly then you don't remember all those bad days. Even with us, if we trade and we've got bad days, when you just stick around and you bat the ball and you trade the trade, what happens? Eventually you also make profit. Eventually you also... I'm having a, a paid off house. Why? Because you stick around for enough, long enough. And that's the big thing. Trading is not a one-day affair. Trading is a business. If you want to see it as a one-day affair, go to Sun City, put your money in a gambling machine, and, and then do it. But for me, trading is a business. And I always say to my guys, if I'm wrong today, we teach our guys to take stop losses, 100-point stop loss on the, on the Aussie. We teach them to do that so that they can see the effect of the stop loss and that they can, that they can save their, their capital. I always say to my guys, if I'm wrong in a position, don't worry, I'll be there tomorrow again. 
I'll be there next week when the market <laughs> is around. I'll be there until the market comes my way. Then I'll be in a profit. And that's how I see trading. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some guys will differ with me. I believe in that. For me, if you run a race, if it's a business or a marathon or trading, if you stick around long enough, you will eventually finish the race. You maybe not win the race, but you will finish the race. And that's the important thing. Stick around long enough and you will win the race. But if you trade too big, and that's always the problem with trading, you have this three, four, five, six, seven brilliant trades. And what does the guy do? He ignores his own rules. Instead of maybe on one Aussie, he goes to 250,000 backing. He then suddenly use one Aussie, 20,000 of backing. And then you need to take a stop loss because then the market can wipe you out. But if the market cannot wipe you out and you stick to your strategy, then stick to it and you'll become successful. Yeah, that's, you know, the, the cricket analogy uh, comes comes up uh, quite a bit with, with folks that, you know, with, with, with plenty of experience. And it's one that I like a lot. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 also, I like what you said there about you know you know staying in the game for 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 long enough to, to turn it around. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of misconceptions in 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 the financial markets, both for traders and for investors. Um, what are some of the biggest uh, misconception uh, uh, new traders or people who are unfamiliar with traders that they need to be aware of? Well, I think the biggest misconception is that everybody believes that shares can just go up. And they cannot go under. I mean, if you've got a company like Bright, where uh, Mr. Visser is a billionaire and he pumped money into a Steinoff or into his companies and suddenly something goes wrong on the management side and that guy can lose, let's call it somewhere a, a billion rand. I mean, those are not stupid guys. They've got not just one manager assisting them or guiding them. They've got plenty. And then they make mistakes. And I see it often. People go into investment, they go into shares, and they just buy them because they believe that company can just go higher. They don't think that the company can turn around and go under. In actual fact, if you look at the stock exchange today, I think there's maybe, let's call it 100 shares. It's got a history of 50 years on the stock exchange. The rest is all either new listings or companies that was taken over by other companies. Um, there's a handful. And that's where the biggest misconception is with anything in life. Everything can just go up. I mean, we all know property in South Africa. What happened with the property industry? In the 80s, it was fashion to buy property to let. And some guys had 20, 30 properties that they rent, let out. And when the interest rate cycle turned, they lost everything. It's the same with shares. I mean, shares is a beauty. Equity formed so well over so many years. If you pick the wrong one, you can burn your fingers. You know, we talk about things going up. You know, the Nikkei of Japan is now only at the levels where it was 25 years ago. It fell to pieces and it, it took 25 years to get to the top again. Now everybody just trade indexes because people believe that indexes can never drop. And yeah. that's the scary, scary, scary part. That is one of the misconceptions that we've got, that shares can just go up. 
and that you can just retire if you buy that. And that's nonsense. And the other thing is, if you pick the right instrument and you pick the right share, rather stick to that share until it wants you and then you get out than to have 20 shares and eventually you cannot monitor them. That's also a big mistake that you can do. Okay, got you, got you. Uh, um, you know, you 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 know you you mentioned there your your, your method and it's, it's rather you know unorthodox at least to to with with my experience. Um, but how how would you define your edge? What is your edge that you have uh, um, in the market that makes you profitable? Uh, you know, over the sustainable time because your experience in the market spends a long 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 time. Now what's the interesting thing? Um, I've worked it out over many years. If you trade, like, let's say you trade reasonably active, now in and out, long, short, doesn't matter. And if you take the, the average performance of a, of a good uh, fund manager, you know what, in the end, it almost works out the same. You, you, some years you beat the market, some years you don't beat the market, but eventually you get, say, inflation plus 5 or 6%. So I've seen it over years. Some years I do brilliantly. And then I think I'm a whiskey. And then I start to struggle. And then if I work out over the years, I do exactly the same as like a fund manager do. So, so it, it's more or less the same thing. But for me, I think out of the trading side, where I've got the edge um, in my strategy, it's because I, I work on that fear and greed thing and I'm a contrarian trader. I always say that when a chart falls to pieces, it gets to a point where there's almost no turnaround and everybody believes it can go under. I will buy it then at that point, and I know that it cannot go, let's say, rock bottom to zero. That first turnaround, easy money, that bounce is the easy money, and that makes me successful. I'm always a contrarian trader. I've got a lamp formation where everything just goes up and up and up and up, and, and nobody believes it, something and goes wrong. I will go short and I will take my few rand when everybody uh, lock in profit. The same thing on the on the on the on the side to the downside. Last year, when the Aussie fell to pieces, I think at thirty nine thousand, I let all my guys knew. Listen, boys, this thing has just fallen too much. All the indicators are just so low. It's time to go long. And it's the same thing like the S and P five hundred now, or even our market a few weeks back. Everything was just so rosy. That everybody believed that it can just go higher and higher and higher and higher and whoops, then it turns around. Always remember when you, and I want to bring it back to running. If you run the comrades and you feel great at 85 kilometers and the race is 89 kilometers wrong and you sprint that 87th kilometer and you get a cramp, you will not win the race. On the yeah. other hand, if you sit on the stoop and you decide that you want to run the comrades, the very first morning when you put on your tackies and you start to run, that's a change in your life. Then you can make a success. So it's always the extreme. It's always that I'm thinking contrarian and I'm always taking the easy money. And the guys know I always take the easy money and that keeps me in the business. Sometimes I see that I take a profit in a share or a trade on the Aussie or the S&P and the share or the, in the index go much further. I'm happy with that profit. And then that evening I will go on my knees and I will thank the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for a great day in the market. 
and then I will thank and then I'll carry on. That's the easy money. If I've got a bad day, I'll also thank the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for the lessons that you've learned me today. I will be back tomorrow. That's the important thing. You need to be in, it doesn't matter which way. I've got a guy in our group that trades 100% momentum. So when the market goes um, like this last year, the moment the market pulled back and wants to go up, he just went long and he made buckets of money. And the other day I said to him, Pasop, when this market is coming around, it's going to mess you around, start to trade smaller. And that's the big thing. If you are successful and you've got a lot of money and you've made a lot of money, start to trade small again because you, or you're, you get self-complacent and that's where you burn your fingers because you believe you cannot be wrong. And remember, the market is always cleverer than all of us. Always cleverer than all of us. I mean, Christelle is now 10 years in my office. She learned all the lessons. And one day she said to me, only now I've seen this and I've seen that and I've seen that happen. And I've only learned that by sitting in front of a screen. And that's the big thing. There's nothing better than experience and to, to have strategies well entrenched. And that's the idea. So for me, that's my edge. Um, I work on that and I'll probably die on that as well. Okay, got you, got you. Um, any must-read books for, for, for new traders to, to, to have in their bookshelves or in their Kindle or Audible? Yeah, um, I read many books. <clears throat> um, I've got some favorite authors. One is Steve Nissen uh, on, on Japanese candlesticks. Um, I mean, that guy is really a legend. I mean, you can read all his books. Um, I just went a little bit further just to see that I must analyze the, the, the candles while it is in development. Um, but I've, I've learned that over years uh, out of my own experience. And then, of, of course, uh, Lucas De Lange, I mean, he, he wrote a book, How to Make a Million Rand out of a Stock Exchange. Wonderful. Nicolas Darvas, one of the best writers. Um, I mean, this guy has got the simple strategy of a dancer that um, trains for a, a new act. And when he's fit enough, he can do a better act. And that's how shares also do. They work on basis. And when they fit enough, they go higher. And on the other hand. And then um, Harry Laurie on, on, um, on value investing, if you want to that, that. Of course, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is just a little bit different for me. But I like his books. Remember, he's playing around with old money. It's different. Um, where Steve Neeson is, is a 100% technician. Um, Mr. Lucas de Lange is a technician as well as a fundamental analyst. And then Nicolas Darvas is a pure technical analyst because he was a dancer. Um, and what's nice about it, he was in the 1930s. He was um, a writer of books. And so it's it, many years ago. And then even I love to read stuff on, on some well-known econom economists. Um, you learn a lot through them. And you've got, of course, the different mindsets that's about most of the books that, that I can, or authors that I can uh, you know, recommend to people. There's also a book um, on, um, um, I try to get the guy's name, um, How to Make Profit in, in Good and Bear Markets. It is, I'll get it. Um, but that's also very good. Guys can just either ask you and you, I can get you the name. I will get it from my shelf. Um, it, the book is at the moment with Christelle. And then I can give that through to you. But um, that's about the basic authors. And then, of course, uh, the late Dr. Clive Roffey. I mean, he wrote some wonderful books on technical analysis. Um, unfortunately, he passed away. 
Um, and I mean that that's his point in 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 proof. Now he he was a gold bull for so many years, and he believed that gold will go up. And some people thought that he's out of his mind. And after his death, gold suddenly started to rally, and it it just shows you that um, um, you know if 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 an instrument is so depressed or so high, eventually it turns around. Um, in our market, NASPERS and process, the darlings of the market, suddenly show that they don't want to go up. They're struggling and everybody wonders why. And it's because they just had so many years, good years behind it. But that's that the big books. And then one of the, the last books that people can read is the Bible. There's no better business practice wherever than written down in the Bible. So um, that's also one of the books that I love. But that's now nothing to do with technical analysis. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. That's some some interesting reads there, uh, particularly with uh, you know the Nicholas Davis book, How I Made Two Million Dollars in the Stock Market. It's a book that um, my trading system is centered around uh, his 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 box system uh, um, strategy and and you know you mentioned the the, the crutch before the spring up went dancing. Brilliant, brilliant book. I also quite recommend it. Um, before we close, Franz, uh, any last words? Um, I just want people to know that they mustn't give up. Um, if you if you like technical analysis and you and you like the stuff that I was talking about this morning and and you can maybe connect with that, just don't give up. Um, just hang on to it. And for all the young guys that listen to this program today, um, you don't need this wonderful degree. Uh, you don't need the CFA degree or the best uh, CA in the world become successful in life. Um, whatever you can do, do it the best you can. Learn a lot, learn from older people, um, listen to them, listen to their stories, listen to their experiences, and you will you will become successful. You know what I've seen over years, and, and I'm sure you will interview some great people over the years. You can save as much as you want to save. You can plan as much as you want to plan. When you get to the age of 75 or 80, it doesn't matter you've got 100 million rand in the bank or you've got one rand in the bank. If you haven't got wonderful kids or a wonderful wife or, or family that support you and take you around and assist you, then you've got nothing. So it doesn't help you to live a life to chase just money and money and money and money and, 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 and believe that you will get to an age of 60, 62. In actual fact, in my practice, I always say to somebody that wants to retire, don't retire, carry on working. Um, in actual fact, and, and the biggest lesson that I've learned is in the Bible, there's not a word like annuity or there's no word like retirement. It just says, Franz worked and worked and worked and one day Franz was dead. And that's exactly around trading. If you take a bad trade today and you and don't force yourself, don't write yourself off. I mean, if you if you look at great athletes like uh, uh, Roberto Salazar and uh, Bruce Fordyce, all those guys worked hard to become successful. And even in my last words is don't give up. Don't take shortcuts. Um, if people take stimulants to, to become successful, if they do something wrong or bribe or do that, don't do that. Stick to the old values. Stick to what works for you. Because night at five minutes before you sleep it is just you it's just france it's just nabulo it's that that person that will say 
Oh, okay. I, I, I had this trade because it was an insider trading. That's why I made money today. Then you're on the wrong footing. But if you say, I, ha I had this trade, it wasn't the right trade, but by tomorrow I will work on it. And by tonight, maybe the next night I'll be in a profit. And then when you make a profit, you say, it was hard work, but I made some money out of it. Then you're on the right track. So don't give up. Um, don't blame the past. Uh, create your own future. Make success of what you've got. And um, nowadays, if you can go to study, study. If you can read, if you can learn, do that. The biggest thing is, is stay humble and, and, and work hard and just grind every day. And eventually, all of us will become a success and you will also become a success. Yeah, uh, Franz, thank you very much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. We're going to park it here for the show. Um, that's it for the show this week. Thank you for hanging with us. Think, uh, be sure not to miss another episode of the British Twitter podcast by subscribing on the favorite podcatcher everywhere where good podcasts are aggregated. Um, some events, uh, do join Simon Brown and myself on Follow the Trader series. We're trading live um, CFD equities and some indices. Um, thank you, Franz. Uh, thank you very much, Franz, for your time. And thank you for listening. Uh, remember to check out our YouTube channel um, at Village, the Village Trader ZA on YouTube. Do follow me on Twitter at Village Trader ZA. And you can find Franz on Twitter at Trader Franz. I'll leave his handle to Twitter um, on the show notes below. Um, that's it for the show this week. Thank you for hanging with us. Check you next time on the Village Trader. Cheers. Cheers.